Our scripture for today is Matthew chapter 1, verses 18 through 24. This is God's word, good, beautiful, and true. This is how the birth of Jesus, the Messiah, came about. His mother Mary was pledged to be married to Joseph, but before they came together, she was found to be pregnant through the Holy Spirit, because Joseph, her husband, was faithful to the law and yet did not want to expose her to public disgrace. He had in mind to divorce her quietly. But after he had considered this, an angel of the Lord appeared to him in a dream and said, Joseph, son of David, do not be afraid to take Mary home as your wife, because what is conceived in her is from the Holy Spirit. She will give birth to a son, and you are to give him the name Jesus, because he will save his people from their sins. All this took place to fulfill what the Lord had said through the prophet. The virgin will conceive and give birth to a son, and they will call him Emmanuel, which means God with us. When Joseph woke up, he did what the angels of the Lord had commanded him and took Mary home as his wife. But he did not consummate their marriage until she gave birth to a son, and he gave him the name Jesus. This is the word of the Lord. You know, one of the marvels of our modern medical world is general anesthesia. The idea that a specialist, an anesthesiologist, can give us a cocktail of drugs that will knock us out and we'll be asleep, and then a surgeon can come in and cut us open, move organs around, <laughs> do all kinds of procedures, remove cancerous tissue, and a few hours later, they can wake us up and we don't remember anything. It, it's a miracle. And one of the remarkable things, to me at least, about general anesthesia is that it's designed to keep our bodies from doing the natural thing, the right thing. Our bodies are designed to run from pain. Uh, you know, pain receptors tell our brain to recoil from the source of pain. But general anesthesia makes it possible for doctors to do the kind of uh, work that needs to be done, the kind of procedures that need to be done for our good. And uh, general anesthesia keeps our bodies from getting in the way. Our bodies doing the natural thing, doing the right thing. It keeps them from getting in the way of what needs to be done. In our passage this morning, God appears to a man named Joseph in a dream. And uh, that's something that happens actually exceptionally uh, rarely in Scripture. It only happens a handful of times if you look through. And I'd say that in this case and in most cases in Scripture, it's almost like God giving general anesthesia to someone. God's at work to bring His redemptive plan into action in our world. And sometimes He's got to give the patience. And that this morning, that's Joseph. Uh, some general anesthesia, <laughs> to keep them from getting in the way, to give them a new perspective, um, to, to do a, a procedure on their hearts, in a sense, so that they can understand what he's doing. Now, uh, I'd like to uh, look at this passage a little bit deeper together, um, and we'll do that by looking at it in a couple of different sections. And the first one's this, the situation. And this, let's get a little bit of a background, kind of a context of what's going on. Um, Joseph, who we meet in this passage, is in a bind. Um, let's put ourselves kind of in his shoes for a second. Imagine this. The woman you're engaged to is pregnant, and you know for an obvious reasons that you're not the father. But not only is she pregnant, she's telling you that an angel appeared to her. We have this recorded for us in the Gospel of Luke, chapter 1. Um, an angel has appeared to her and told her, that even though she's a virgin, she's going to become pregnant. And the baby in her womb that God is forming 
is going to be the Savior of the world, the Messiah, long awaited for. Um, you know, if you're Joseph, it's a bit much. It's a bit too big. It's a bit too out there. And not only that, the, the culture that you live in, the society that you live in is deeply focused on concepts of honor and shame and community and family. Um, and if what you think has happened has happened, that your fiancé has been unfaithful to you and has become pregnant by another man, then you have every legal right to call off the marriage. And you can take the moral high ground, you can remove yourself from the situation, and everybody, legally and socially, will be on your side. You can avoid uh, the shame of this situation that other people are going to heap on it. You can avoid it altogether. Remove yourself from it. But you love this woman. You love her. You don't want to see her dragged through the mud. You don't want to see that happen. Um, even if she did what you think she did. And so you've resolved, like it says in verse 19, to divorce her quietly. You're not going to go through with the marriage, but you don't want to put her to kind of open shame. So you're going to do it quietly on the side. You're going to do what you think is the right thing. You know, as readers of Matthew's Gospel, if we were reading straight through, we would start in chapter 1 with the genealogy, which I talked about last week, this family tree of Jesus. The story immediately following the family tree is this passage. And so we, as readers of Matthew's Gospel, we're looking at this and we've seen behind the curtain. And so we see Joseph about to do this action. He's about to divorce her quietly and put her away. And we're thinking, no, Joseph, don't do it. You don't realize. It's almost like watching a horror movie and people are about to walk into the wrong room. We're we're saying, no, no, don't do it. Um, So that's the situation, which brings us to our second section, the, the dream. So God steps in. God steps in. And he sends an angel. Now, we aren't told what the angel look like, looks like, and we have a few descriptions throughout the Old Testament, especially, of what angels look like, and they actually aren't little porcelain dolls, and they don't look like cute kids in Christmas plays. They're pretty terrifying. Um, but we aren't told what this angel look like, looks like. Um, angel literally just means messenger, um, and so the most important thing about this angel is the message that he brings. Um, and that starts in verse 20. Look at verse 20 with me. Joseph, son of David. Notice he, ca- he doesn't call him Joseph, son of Jacob. Jacob was his literal father. He calls him Joseph, son of David. He identifies Joseph, who at the time was kind of an insignificant carpenter in a small town called Nazareth, a town of four or 500 people. Um, he identifies this seemingly insignificant man with his very famous ancestor, Uh, King David. And uh, as we mentioned last week regarding the genealogy of Jesus, like I said, this was once a great line of kings that had dwindled into insignificance. Um, But God, identifying Joseph here through the angel as the son of David, is an indicator to Joseph there, to us as well, that God is breaking in, that he's about to do something Uh, incredibly remarkable. He's about to keep his promises that he's made um, to provide a king that will rule in righteousness and justice over his kingdom. Um, Next, the angel says, do not be afraid to take Mary home as your wife. It's interesting to me that the angel tells Joseph to not be afraid. 
to take Mary home? What, what was Joseph afraid of? Um, I think that he was partly afraid of what people would say about him. That he knew if he took Mary home, pregnant, not by him, um, into his home as his wife, that people would talk about him. That he'd experience incredible public shame. Um, that he would have this reputation that just followed him around for the rest of his life. And that he'd be seen as a fool by people. They would either accuse him of lying or they would accuse him of being uh, stupid, of being fooled by this woman, Mary. So, you know, that's actually <laughs> a lot of good reasons for fear, for Joseph to feel afraid. But notice what the angel says. Why shouldn't Joseph be afraid? Look at the verse, rest of verse 20. Because what is conceived in her is from the Holy Spirit. She will give birth to a son, and you are to give him the name Jesus, because he will save his people from their sins. Name Jesus literally means Yahweh, God's name revealed in the Old Testament. Yahweh is salvation. The angel is telling Joseph that this baby, yet to be born, is God bringing his promised salvation to reality. That in a way that Joseph and, and even we can't get our minds fully around, that this baby is, is God coming to make his home with us as one of us. It's God breaking in to our world to free us from what holds us bound. It's God entering into the frustrations and the limitations of being a human being, into a world so marked by violence and selfishness and sin. It's God coming not simply to condemn, but to provide deliverance from this cycle of darkness that so characterizes our history. It's God who knows all, who has seen all the darkness and all the complexity of our world and has still decided out of his own good pleasure, compelled by nothing but his deep love for us to come and not to our world, not just to be God, but to be God with us, to join us to himself in love. You know, at the beginning of the sermon, I said that this was kind of like God putting Joseph under general anesthesia so he could perform a surgery, so he could do what needed to be done for Joseph. But just like with surgeries, the goal is not just to do the procedure, it's to wake the patient back up so that they continue can continue on in their life unhindered. And that leads us to our last section. The first one was the situation, the second, uh, the dream, and the third one's this, the waking the waking. In verse 24, it tells us that Joseph woke up. And instead of doing what he had set his mind to earlier, instead of divorcing Mary, he did this, quote, what the, he did what the angel of the Lord had commanded him and took Mary home as his wife, but he did not consummate their marriage until she gave birth to a son, and he gave him the name Jesus. The surgery was a success. Um, and now Joseph has a new perspective that allowed him to walk into the rest of his life unhindered by the fear of social shame, by the fear that he had previously. And Joseph needed that perspective because of what came next. Because here's the thing. At least in his own lifetime, Joseph was never vindicated in the eyes of others. He appears to have died shortly before, or at least before, Jesus started his public ministry. 
And so after this dream that we have here in Matthew chapter 1, Joseph lived the rest of his life caring for Jesus, nurturing Jesus into adulthood, teaching him the family trade, um, all through the whispers of his community. And those fears that he had of being seen as a fool would have come into fruition. Being seen as a liar would have come true. The whispers of his community would have happened. He nurtured Jesus through the gossip and through the looks that probably colored so many of the interactions for the rest of his life. But here's what Joseph also had. For every odd look of a neighbor, he could see this growing boy as a living testament of God's love for him. That Jesus, this child in his household, that he cared for like a natural-born son, was God with him. God with him literally in his household. A living testament of God's love for him. And not only for him. Through Jesus, God was not only uh, assuring Joseph and Mary of his love for them, he was providing a way for us even today, 2,000 years later, to be reconciled to him and to other people. He was providing salvation for sins. He was providing healing of heart. He was providing a hope that can withstand, a hope that can outlast the darkness of our world. And he was providing for Joseph to know that for every bit of shame that people would try to heap on him, and I'm sure there was a ton of it, for every bit of fear that he might have felt about how this story would play out, and remember, he didn't get to see it play out, that he had the assurance that in this child, God was overcoming the power of shame, the power of sin, the power of fear. You know, this morning, we aren't Joseph. We aren't Joseph. And our takeaway from this passage shouldn't be that maybe God will show up in our dreams tonight. Like I said, uh, that's something exceptionally rare even in Scripture. But here's at least part of the takeaway for us, I think. You know, doing the right thing in life is not always easy, and it doesn't always come with rewards or recognition. Sometimes the right thing, doing the right thing, might mean other people think you're stupid. In the eyes of the world, it's stupid to love your enemies. It's stupid to pray for people who don't like you. It's stupid to uh, spend money and generosity toward people who might not be able to repay it. Loving your neighbor as yourself is not uh, a genius idea in the eyes of the world. Sometimes actually believing that Jesus is God and he forgives sins is ridiculed as wishful thinking or maybe even some kind of psychological disorder. But in all of this, um, you know, we may also have a fear of some kind of social shame, that we might be afraid of how we'll be seen by other people. Or we might be afraid of what we'll lose out on. We spoke about being generous. Uh, you know, being generous in the sense of giving to a worthy cause or giving to a church or giving to someone in great need. That's money that you're, uh, in, in, in the economic eyes of the world, you're throwing away. You're not spending it on something for yourself. You're not saving it. You're just tossing it to the wind with no promise of a return. Um, so we might be actually afraid of what we lose out on. Or, you know, we could be afraid of a, a thousand different things. So here's the call for us. In the face of anticipated shame or, or true shame that people are trying to heap on us, in the face of fears about what it looks like to live in love 
in our world. The call for us is to allow the reality of who Jesus is and what he's done to shape the way we think, to shape the things we love and how we love, to shape the direction of our lives. In the same way that Joseph gained this new perspective through the angel's message, that even though the way ahead might be difficult, might be filled with fear, that that Jesus is this proof of God with us, of God's intention for us. It's the same thing for us. Allowing the reality of who Jesus is and what he's done to be the guiding things in our life, the lens through which we see everything else. So the reality of who Jesus is, the Messiah, the promised one, uh, the reality of who Jesus is, the eternal Son of God who has become man to be God with us for our good. Uh, to allow the reality of what he's accomplished, saving us from our sins, allowing us to come to him and find forgiveness. And not only forgiveness, to come to him and find ourselves declared righteous in God's sight completely as a gift. To find in him motivation and grace for every step of the way that we can be transformed into new kind of people and have a hope that endures that these things, who Jesus is and what he's accomplished, again, letting this be the thing that shapes every part of our lives, letting this, this profound love, be the guiding center of our hearts and our lives. And so this morning as we reflect on Joseph's experience and in this season, as we look back at a year of trouble and look forward to an uncertain future. Let's look to the certainty of who Jesus is and what he's accomplished, and let's build our lives on that sure foundation. Let's pray. Father, I thank you. I thank you that we can look to you and that in Jesus Christ we can see the clarity of your intentions for us in grace, that we are not left to our own devices, to try and figure it out along the way. We're not left to ourselves, uh, hoping that what we might do is good enough, but that in you we can have a hope that we are seen as we truly are and loved as we truly are, that your love is, is stronger and deeper than our sin, that we can find in you plentiful redemption, forgiveness of sins, right relationship with you and with each other, uh, these just incredible riches of your redemption of us. So I pray, Lord, that these promises, that these promises that have come true and been fulfilled in Jesus Christ would be uh, implanted into our hearts and that we would grow out of that worthiness, out of that love, that that would be the root out of which the, the rest of our life grows. So I pray that you would do this by your Holy Spirit, that we wouldn't be fooled into thinking that it's it's about us trying to work hard enough to make this the center of our lives, but that you would uh, give us um, a sense in our imagination and in our affections of the beauty and majesty of Jesus. Do this for your glory and for our good. I pray all this in the matchless name of Christ. Amen. Amen. Let's sing together.